if we don't think about these problems, all we're going to end up doing is, you know, rebuilding all the old, you know, terrible, horrible systems of the past um, just with a shiny new technology. You're listening to KBcast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Welcome to the show, Lachlan. Really excited to have you here today. Now, blockchain is something that depends on who you ask. People have different versions, different theories on what it is, how it works, why we should care about it. And also, more importantly, because this is a cybersecurity podcast, the security side of it. So, I want to sort of get into your background and then dive more deeply into the blockchain side of things. But I'm really keen to hear from you to start off our show with talking a little bit more about you, Lachlan, and your journey. So please go ahead, tell the listeners where you started to where you are now. Sure. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Super excited uh, to be here. I love talking about blockchain. Yeah, my, my name's Lachlan Feeney. I am the founder and CEO of Labrys. Labrys is uh, one of Australia's largest blockchain uh, technology and consulting agencies. Uh, I founded Labrys five years ago now um, when I was studying at university. So I've always sort of been super into blockchain, even from a young age. Um, I've actually spent almost like the last decade uh, focused around blockchain. I was an early adopter of Bitcoin and always found it super, super fascinating, Uh, sort of went down the rabbit hole from there. And um, yeah, when I was at university, I was working uh, for another blockchain company. I um, uh, went studied at um, Queensland University of Technology, doing an information systems degree. And um, yeah, blockchain uh, has always been my thing. And um, I I got together uh, with a couple of mates while I was uh, studying at uni. Uh, We came up with uh, the concept of Labrys. Uh, so this was about five years ago now. And, um, yeah, I, I ended up, I, I, I had a lot going on at the time. I was uh, obviously studying full-time at university. I um, was working outside of uni. I was actually heavily involved in sort of a few different uh, clubs and that sort of thing at, at uni as well. So um, uh, shortly after starting Labrys, I, I ended up, um, deciding to drop out of uni so I, I never actually managed to finish my degree and I've um, yeah spent the last five years basically solely focused on blockchain uh, trying to bring blockchain a lot more mainstream uh, particularly within the Australian market but also a lot more broadly and um, yeah we've we've built up over that five-year period uh, Labrys to where it is today which is um, yeah, we, we, we have more onshore uh, blockchain development talent um, than any other agency in Australia, which is something we're pretty um, happy ex- and excited about. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just on a mission to um, try and spread blockchain as far and wide as possible. 
Wonderful. I love that. I like how you said it, uh, trying to create blockchain to be more mainstream. Now, blockchain fundamentals, people are still like quite confused by it. And as I start, you know, started the interview off, depends on who you are, so you'll get different answers. Uh, I think people are still confused by what it is, how to build on it, how to protect it. So I'm really keen to hear from you today to mis- to demystify a lot of these blockchain theories. So just so everyone listening is on the same page, can you explain what blockchain is? Because as I've said, people have many versions and interpretations of what it is. And I just want to be clear and start the interview that everyone knows where we stand, what your definition is. And that way, while, you know, when we're, we're going through the interview, there's no sort of room for error. So please give your definition of what it is. Sure. Um, so blockchain, there's like you, you can get uh, pretty complicated with it, which I think is where a lot of the confusion comes from. But I'll try and keep it as simple as possible. Um, a blockchain, in my eyes, is uh, just a database where once you write information to that database, it cannot be changed or modified by anyone anywhere in the world. It's a, it's a database that once you write some data to it, you can't modify or change that data. There's no admin user who has control over that database uh, who, who can modify any, any of the data within it or historical data within it. It's once, it's once you write data to a blockchain, it, it can never be changed. And uh, a blockchain uh, also, in addition to that, uh, should have, um, uh, it, it should basically always be up. It, it should have 100% uptime. So this is a database um, that doesn't go down. It's always there. And the information that's in that database, uh, once it's written there, uh, cannot, uh, at least the historical state of it, cannot be uh, changed or modified. It can't be changed uh, by any individual entity, um, by any hacker, by any government. It, it is what we call an, an immutable data store. So yeah, that sort of, it, it is a database. You can get a lot more complicated than that. There's a lot of different things that uh, blockchains uh, can do beyond that. But yeah, in, in its simplest terms, it's a database. Um, it, it has, you know, similar functionalities to most other databases. Everyone can read from a blockchain database, um, but um, you, you still have sort of your traditional write permissions so that, you know, some people can write to certain accounts and others cannot the same way um, as any database. But the, um, yeah, that key differentiator is once you write there, you, you can't change it. And once you start thinking about the applications that you can do with that, obviously everyone's most familiar with Bitcoin and that use case. Um, there's a million different things you can do with it. But yeah, it's a, it's a database that you can't change the data within it once you, once you write that data to the blockchain. I'm curious to know from your perspective, a lot of people out there, and I know this because conferences and people talk about blockchain, people still seem to be apprehensive towards it. I'm curious to know why. I think it stems from 
where blockchain started, you kind of have to go back to the first uh, use case of blockchain, which was Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin, uh, the Bitcoin blockchain is a blockchain. Uh, there are other blockchains out there, but it was the first implementation of a blockchain, um, creating this concept of, of digital money. Um, once again, there were sort of many attempts. Uh, not everyone knows this, but um, prior to Bitcoin, there's actually many uh, different attempts to sort of create digital online currencies, um, and all of them failed basically because uh, people would hack into the databases or, or admins would abuse powers and, and different things, or they'd get shut down in certain jurisdictions. Um, so Bitcoin was the first implementation um it had when when it first started um you know there there were incidents like the silk road and things like this where um you know people were finding all sorts of very interesting use cases for a technology like this that that we hadn't had access to before so i think that's where a lot of the caution comes from because of those early days of blockchain technology where there was a lot of um, apprehension to, to Bitcoin, particularly early on, um, is where some of that stigma uh, sort of comes from. Um, but I think we, we've matured, you know, blockchain's been around for over a decade now. We've matured, you know, vastly beyond, um, you know, uh, Bitcoin. It's obviously still a, a big part of the space, but there are so many other uh, amazing applications for blockchain and the technology as a whole. So I, I, I think it stems from those early days of Bitcoin. I've certainly noticed sort of just in the industry over the past few years, there's definitely been a shift in sentiment. Um, if you go back sort of uh, maybe six or seven years, um, no one had any interest in blockchain at all, they they wouldn't even entertain a discussion around it. If you go back five years, you know people might listen, uh, but uh, you know wouldn't really sort of take it that seriously. Um, whereas I think over the last couple of years, I've certainly noticed a big sentiment change, where you know, uh, serious individuals, boards of very large companies, you know, major brands and organizations are now uh, looking at how they can adopt this technology. And I think there's still big question marks from a lot of these people within businesses of, well, I'm no longer, you know, I'm actually, I'm going to listen now. I'm not ignoring it. I understand that there's some value there. I still don't understand where that value is for my business, um, but I'm at least going to listen and entertain it. And so I think that's where the sentiment is at the moment. Um, and, and that's sort of my perception of how that's shifted. And then the next step is once we start getting some really sort of killer use cases of the application that can be rolled out, where we've sort of achieved, you know, easily replicable um, success stories with the technology, um, that's when that sentiment is even going to shift a step further, which is, okay, now I get it. I can see how it adds value. I know the use case. Let's get going. 
Wow, that is that is really interesting. I'm curious now to know from what you're saying in terms of the timeline, like the last couple of years you've seen the uptake. What was sort of the appetite towards blockchain in terms of like was there anything specific that perhaps caught people's attention that you can sort of shed some light on perhaps? Um, in terms of use cases? Well, you should have said before that, um, you know, in recent years, like more boards and companies are now open to the conversation. Like, was there anything specific that people were sort of hanging their hat on that you sort of noticed as a common trend that people were open to having the conversations about blockchain? I think where that interest and sentiment has come from, like we, you know, I hate to spend so much time sort of talking about Bitcoin, but I think, you know, Bitcoin's been in the news. It, it hasn't been mainstream, but it's been in the news for, um, you know, a good sort of, you know, eight or nine years now. Um, and every time, uh, you know, the Bitcoin price goes crazy and then it crashes back down and everyone goes, oh, you know, the, the, that was it. The technology's dead. Uh, you know, it happened when when Bitcoin hit eleven hundred dollars back in twenty thirteen, and then uh, in twenty seventeen it was up at uh, twenty thousand dollars, and then you know crashed back down, and then over the last twelve months or so we we saw it back up as high as um, uh, you know over sixty thousand dollars. So um, I think. Um, that Bitcoin, the Bitcoin news cycle has been somewhat of a catalyst um, for the interest where these people that were, you know, laughing off Bitcoin when it crashed down to $3,000 or so and sort of wrote it off and now seeing it come back going, oh my God, you know, what's happened here? Clearly I've missed something. Um, you know, the, the, this thing isn't dying. What's actually going on here? Um, and you know, there's been a lot more institutional adoption even of technologies like um, Bitcoin. There are some countries where now Bitcoin is legal tender. Um, and so I prefer to talk about, you know, the, the applications and use cases of blockchain technology. There's so many that are really exciting use cases that the industry is working on at the moment. But um, if I'm being perfectly honest, I, I do have to admit that the news cycle around the price of Bitcoin and, and the fact that this thing just isn't dying and seemingly is, you know, seeping its way into the highest levels of society is definitely a catalyst for people to, to reconsider and go, oh, maybe I, maybe I wrote that thing off and maybe I was wrong and maybe I, you know, maybe my business doesn't want to use Bitcoin or buy Bitcoin, but maybe I should pay attention to the technology behind it and, and see what that can do. Yeah, that's excellent. I think there's a lot of good things that you said in there. So uh, interesting comment that you made around like when, when Bitcoin crashed. So a few weeks ago, I released an episode about crypto scams and someone responded to me saying like, oh, crypto's dead, uh, much to what you were sort of saying. And like, you know, on that day from memory, like it was, you know, it had plummeted quite quite hard but then it recovered. And so I can start to see the trend of everyone saying, oh, you know, like it's not going to, it's not going to be sustainable. There's no longevity. Uh, people have been saying that for years and it, you know, you are right. There has probably been that mainstream media, that negative connotation attached to it, but it's still here. It's still showing up. 
I mean, if you look at traditional stock market, that's taken a hit. So I think that, again, it depends who you ask. So that was a, uh, a you know interesting observation that you had. One of the things that you said earlier, Lachlan, is companies are starting to see value in blockchain. So would you be able to perhaps uh, uh, highlight what the value is? So for, for listeners perhaps who are in early days of exploration on blockchain um, and, and are keen to know more, uh, I'm happy to you know, hear it from you, the um, the blockchain guy that's been doing it for, what, a decade, and what the actual value is for people. Because I still think as well, a lot of people are very unclear on this. We are still early on in the use cases. So the way I try and look at um, blockchain um, uh, and where we're at sort of compared to other technologies uh, we're kind of in like the email era of the internet. So if you go back to, um, you know, probably like the late 1990s, um, you know, the, the internet, obviously it exists, it's there. One of the primary use cases of it is email. Um, and, you know, people are using that, um, the, the, the analogy that I'd make for sort of blockchain is Bitcoin is like, uh, you know, Bitcoin is to blockchain what email is um, to the internet. And so if you went back to, you know, the 1990s and you tried to explain what the value of the internet is, well, someone would probably give you this uh, really technical answer of, well, it's this global network of information and, um, you know, it operates on this sort of TCP IP protocol. And this is revolutionary because um, so-and-so. Um, but it would be very hard to describe um, value in terms of uh, companies like Facebook and like YouTube and Google. Um, these use cases and um, applications of the internet uh, are just unfathomable. Um, back at that point in time. So um, I kind of see that as, as you know, this is where um, blockchain is at at the moment. We kind of have Bitcoin and some people go, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's interesting. I can see some value there. Um, but there will be the Facebooks and the Googles and so on of the Web3 era. They don't exist yet. Um, but they're coming and to try and, you know, I could sit here and speculate all afternoon on, on what those companies are going to look like. And I'd probably be wrong. Um, but the value that blockchain is going to deliver um, or it's going to enable what we call web three, um, which basically um, it, it builds in, uh, trust um, in a in a digital sense um, and allows us to take control back over our own data. So when you have these blockchain systems, these immutable uh, uh, databases, where once you write to them, um, that that uh, uh, data or information that you've written can never be changed. What you can actually do is instead of just storing um, a piece of information, like um, in the case of Bitcoin, a number of Bitcoins in an account, because that, that's all Bitcoin can do. It's just a ledger of 
you know, Bob has five Bitcoins and Alice has two and you can update those values. Um, now with blockchains, you can actually write and program entire applications into this immutable database where once they've been written, um, you can, uh, 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 they, the, the code in those applications can never be changed. So they'll execute and run exactly as you expect them to um, 100% of the time. So you can now start creating um, uh, applications where typically you would need middlemen, trusted third parties, because you don't know how the other counterparty is going to act um, and you can't necessarily trust them. Well, with, with these blockchain and Web3 applications, um, both parties can see the rules crystal clear. The, the applications can only run according to the rules. Um, the, the rules can state that you, you know, maintain total ownership over your data. It's not transferred to that of uh, the company or some other entity or, or these sorts of things. So, um, you know, there's, once again, I'm, I'm getting a little bit technical here, um, but this is, this is where, the value comes from where you can um, recreate processes um, digitally and contracts digitally that typically you could only do with a trusted third party where you needed to pay them for their, their, their service that they're providing. You can now do this peer-to-peer, B2B um, with absolute certainty as to how things are going to play out. So when you say third party... What do you mean specifically when you say that? Yeah, so th- look, this could really be anything um, depending on the use case. So once again, like looking back to how the industries evolved, it started with Bitcoin, which was very finance heavy and money focused. So inherently, a lot of the initial applications of um, blockchain technology have been financially focus just as a result of where the industry started um, and so there there are now um, you know applications on the blockchain that are like um, peer-to-peer banks so you can go and you can go and take a loan out on a blockchain um, directly peer-to-peer from a lender there's there's no bank um that's necessary to facilitate that transaction to hold your deposit, to pay you interest, these sorts of things. Um, you, you can completely, um, you know, uh, connect a lender to a borrower directly, you know, totally peer-to-peer, business-to-business, these sorts of things. Gotcha. Then that makes sense. Would you say, I mean, from what I'm hearing from what you're saying, in terms of value, I hear there's accountability, as you can, like you said, database that you can't change. People can view it. Uh, historically, that's not always, you know, behind a company you can't necessarily. I mean, unless you like break into it and hack into it, and you, you know, you go through it with a fine tooth comb to the nth degree. You don't have that. So, would you say, from your experience, that that's something perhaps that can be good? but then can also be worrying for some people as well because it leaves them very open to vulnerabilities, but then also to perhaps things that they're not doing necessarily right. So do you sort of see that, you know, people are sitting on the fence about it because it could be used 
for good, but then also it can expose a whole bunch of things because there is that level of accountability there. Yeah, so the, there's definitely that um, aspect of it. Um, uh, you can, like, you know, you can create just because you have a blockchain system. I think this is where it catches a lot of people out. Um, just by having a blockchain system and an a application that runs on a blockchain doesn't mean that, you know, the rules of that application are honest or that um the application the you know the the owner who who was sort of uh deployed that application to the blockchain is going to be held accountable so um the, there are some of those um uh you know there there is that aspect uh to it and i think this captures a lot of people out like you can write a you can write a program to the blockchain, which is like a clone of Bitcoin, except there's an admin account that controls everything and can delete your Bitcoins and um, all of these sorts of things. So um, just because you have a blockchain doesn't mean that the applications on it are honest or accountable. You can write whatever rules into them you want. Um, but um, yeah, I, I would say there's an aspect of it as well where because it's so finite, um, there are uh, people sort of get scared um, by the finality of the blockchain systems. For example, if you send a cryptocurrency or something to uh, accidentally send it to a wrong address on the blockchain, there is no um, bank or government or anyone that you can go to to reverse that transaction or go, oh, okay, obviously there was an honest mistake here. So there is that challenge about it. Some people get quite scared about that. I think this is not a technology problem, but more of a um, sort of user experience problem. And there's a lot of work being done to try and abstract these challenges away so that um, they become much less of an issue. But yeah, in terms of accountability, I, I think it's the same as any other technology. It's a new technology. People are scared of it. Um, as they see it mature, they'll, they'll become much more comfortable. Going back to the crypto example, so if I, were, if I was sending you crypto and I accidentally didn't mean to and I supposed to go to someone else, how are people reacting to that? I mean, I interviewed a guy recently talking about NFTs and so his sort of theory was, and he lives in the United States, and he was sort of saying, you know, it was quite crazy. Some of the things what you are saying, and he was saying, you know, six out of ten from his experience were scams, which is quite high. That's, you know, that's over 50%. So I'm curious to hear from you if people are, you know, there was, there was an error in judgment and they sent crypto to someone they shouldn't have and, What's like the response? How, how do people respond to that? Because, I mean, you've, you've probably seen over the news last few weeks of how much money people have lost in NFTs and all these types of things. And admittedly, you know, the market does come back. But in this particular instance, like you said, there's no bank, there's no government where you can go and say, hey, I accidentally sent money to someone I shouldn't have. What does that look like? Look, I, I think it depends on the user and um, their like knowledge of the space to someone who's a bit older has been used to the banking system and, and the way things have worked um 
for decades to come into a system that's as uh, final as these blockchain systems, it, it seems quite scary. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I've certainly met a few people over my time who have, you know, run into issues here where um, they have been scammed or they have accidentally sent things uh, to the wrong address or they've lost, um, you know, their keys to their, their wallets. That's always, uh, you know, you see plenty of stories of those going around where the guy was mining Bitcoin and then threw away the computer and lost access to, you know, billion-dollar fortunes. So um, the reaction is is always, um, you know, uh, like people never take that lightly. Um, but I, I think it comes down to, at the end of the day, it comes down to education and it comes down to um, abstraction at the user experience level. So for me, as an, um, you know, a, a seemingly sort of advanced blockchain user, like I, I don't come across any scams or ever have any issues with these types of things um, uh because, you know, I'm just not in those circles. I'm not, um, you know, doing things that I shouldn't be because I, I you know, I, I know what to do and, and what not to do. Um, but um, there's certainly that that issue with new users, uh, you know, who, who are new to the technology, who haven't been um, educated in the technology, find themselves in, you know, uh, uh, places on the internet that, to you or me would be obvious scams, you know, places promising several thousand percent returns and, you know, click this link in this email. Like th these are all classic, you know, cybersecurity um, uh, challenges. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, I don't see the blockchain space really any different to any other space other than obviously the, the finality. Um, but um, yeah, pe people never take lightly to it. But I, I think as the technology matures, um, as we build better wallets and technologies, uh, th this will become a lot less um, of an issue. So, for example, um, there's a lot of wallets um, working on um, account abstraction at the moment or social recovery wallets. So these are things where rather than um, using a singular private key to store your cryptocurrency, for example, um, you would create a smart contract where um, members of your family and friends or whatever uh, would be able to reactivate your account if um, you ever lost access to it. So you, you might put in like five um, very trusted um, family or friends and say that you need three of them to be able to recover account. So you, you can build all of these things in, these technologies are coming. And I think once we um, make some headway there, this sort of issue of losing keys and scams and these sorts of things will, will become much less of an issue. Do you think that this space will become regulated? So going back to your example, a guy obviously threw his laptop out, you know, he lost all his money or whatever, like that, that's pretty frustrating. But then there's no one to complain to. So I'll give you an example. A few weeks ago, uh, my business credit card had all these random charges on it. And obviously it wasn't me, you know, whatever happened, I don't know specifically, but called the bank and they're like, yep, cool. We can obviously tell that wasn't you. And I recovered the money. At least 
I, as a consumer, not even as a business, as a consumer, there was some relief knowing that someone was going to deal with it. So going back to the example or just any example that you probably have, you know, if that were to be the case, and, and just so hypothetically, I called the bank and they're like, too bad, so sad, not our problem, they just hung up. Yes, people are aware that this could be a thing, but it's still it's still upsetting, right? Like, and, and how do you go back to, you know, potentially burning yourself again when, you know, you you there was an error in judgment or you there was some, you know, oversight. I'm curious to know then, like, have you have you seen anything in terms of people's reaction? Is that sort of going to be where we, we start to get this regulated or, or what? Yeah, so uh, there's a couple of questions there. Um, regulation is no doubt uh, coming. We, we can already see it um, in a bunch of jurisdictions across the globe at the moment. So th- there's no doubt that that's coming. It's just the question of... Um, you know, uh, what this regulation is actually going to achieve and, and how effective it will be. So I personally, I think that some level of regulation is going to be necessary to give businesses um, the confidence to sort of move into the space because it is a grey area um, at the moment and, you know, large enterprises, there's nothing that they dislike more than sort of operating in in really gray areas they they want it to sort of be crystal clear so um that that's coming and that's necessary but like solving the the problem that you're talking about here in terms of you know funds being stolen from a wallet or being sent to a wrong address or losing keys or these sorts of things government regulation can't uh fix these things there's there's no government that can come in and uh, reverse a transaction on a blockchain. Like, remember, the, these things are designed so that once um, some data is written to it, it, it cannot be changed no matter who it is. So I think we need to look to uh, technological solutions, not to um, regulatory solutions to, to solve um, some of these challenges. So I think the way it will work is, or, or the way it will end up unfolding is, you know, if you want to be in total control of your wallet and take all risk um, on, that's fine. You hold your own private key and you self-custody. You do that and, and you bear the risk for that. I think there'll be some solutions that evolve, uh, which are custodial solutions, which we already sort of see at the moment, where um, you go, actually, I don't want to be responsible for um, you know, managing my private keys. And if something goes wrong, um, you know, if there's a technical issue with this application um, and some funds are stolen, that's the business's problem, not my problem, the same way it would be the bank's problem. And I, I think that, you know, you, you'll probably start saying you can already take out like decentralized, like smart contract insurance um, on these blockchain platforms. So, you might be able to take out a policy where if, you know, any funds are lost or stolen from your wallet or these sorts of things and you can prove that, then you'd be able to make a claim. So I think there's going to be some really promising um, technological um, advancements that, that will solve um, some of the problems that you're sort of talking about. And with the credit card, situation like it's important as well not to just look at okay well it's great that the bank solved it but 
how how did that actually happen in the first place? Like, there's obviously some sort of you know vulnerability there. But with a with a with a blockchain wallet, the only way that anyone can ever spend your funds is when they get access to your private key. There's absolutely no other way to do that. So it's traceability is there. Correct. Because there's only one option. Whereas like, because people like, you know, someone saying to me like, how do you think your card got skimmed or whatever? And I was like, who knows? Like it could be I was in a taxi. It could be my credit cards used for SaaS. Maybe that was compromised. It could be a bunch of stolen credit cards sold on the dark web. Someone bought it, happened to use mine. Who knows? Like, who actually would know? And to be honest, I wasn't going to go on some quest to find out um, because it could be any answer. Um, so would you say that there's a correlation between the custodial solutions and then probably the adoption towards it? Uh, because people feel that level perhaps of security that, you know, like you know, not taking all the risks themselves. Do you think that when there's that equalizer there, well, you're not taking all the risk. There is still some sort of body per se that can help you if there is an issue. Do you think that will be where where further adoption potentially could stem from? That that's what's happening at the moment. So m- most of the um, you know adoption of cryptocurrencies and these sorts of things. And I should say as well, we've spoken a lot about cryptocurrency, but there's a lot of blockchain use cases sort of outside of cryptocurrency as well. Um, but this is, um, you know, th- this is where the adoption is happening at the moment. Like most people who own cryptocurrencies own them on custodial exchanges. Um, they don't self-custody um, themselves. And th- that, that's definitely accelerated adoption. Um, in the long run, I don't think that is the best solution. I feel like if we... Um, you know, if if all um, the cryptocurrency or all of the data or all of the access rights to these smart contracts just end up back in the um, hands of a few sort of custodial uh, uh, brokers uh, or custodians, um, uh, you know, I, I think we're sort of missing the purpose of the technology a bit. So um, I think, you know, this is a short term uh, sort of solution, but I think in the long run, it's about how do we make non-custodial wallets um, and and you know uh, uh, key management applications because not every interaction with the blockchain is is through a cryptocurrency wallet, but how do we create these solutions where individuals and organisations can create uh, or can self custody but with the user experience that they're used to at a traditional bank and with the recourse and, um, you know, tools available to solve problems uh, like at a traditional bank or, you know, systems that they're familiar with. Yeah, got you. Okay, so I think what I'm hearing from what you're saying is if we keep going down the custodial solution, it's just basically going to end up being like a bank is today but in a different form. Um with having someone responsible for that, which is completely defeats the purpose of it. Yeah, no, I, I, I think this is one of the big challenges for the blockchain industry. And this is um, certainly something that we do a lot of thinking about at Labris is um, if we don't think about these problems, all we're going to end up doing 
is, you know, rebuilding all the old, you know, terrible, horrible systems of the past um, just with a shiny new technology. You know, th this is what's happening with a lot of the um, what we call DeFi applications at the moment where we seem to be just building the same you know, systems that led to the global financial crisis. And they're not, in many ways, they're, they're no better. Um, they're just running on a new flashy technology. But the technology does have the potential to build, you know, new and, and, and much, much better, more secure, more sound systems than we've been able to architect in the past and that that really is the key challenge it's something we spend a lot of time thinking about here is how do we actually use this technology to make new and better systems not just rebuild the bad systems um, of the past so would you advise someone to take the risk themselves because then exactly what you just said if it's if we're just going to have that custodial solution, it's, it's rebuilding the same stuff that we've already kind of got, right? So we don't really need that. And the whole benefit of this is to have that complete control. Is that what you're saying? Well, I think it's up to, um, you know, businesses like Labris and um, other builders within the software uh, and blockchain industries to build solutions um that allow you know the the benefits of blockchain to actually take place um but to give a user experience and, and customer experience that is you know of what the average user and average person would expect that that's really the challenge like i don't think you should be advising um you know your mom to go out and buy a bunch of Bitcoin and self-custody it um, herself and write down her 24-word um, mnemonic, um, you know, that's probably a bad idea. Uh, but I think it's up to, um, you know, those in the industry to build solutions so that uh, your mum can go out and, and, you know, access the blockchain uh, and take full advantage of owning her own data, her own assets, information, these sorts of things. Um, but, you know, do it as simple as using any other application. So switching gears now, I'd like to sort of talk on the security side of things. Now, there's probably this fallacy in the space that blockchain is going to solve security problems. Uh, so from your development perspective what are your thoughts on this yeah so this is um this is sort of one of my pet hates in the in the blockchain industry is this misconception between um blockchain and security so if we go back to the definition of um what is a blockchain it's this sort of database where um, once you write information to it, that that data cannot be changed by anyone. Um, and, you know, some would sort of describe that as an unhackable uh, database. Um, blockchain, you know, Bitcoin and these sorts of things, they're often described as unhackable. Um, and so people often sort of take that and then they go, you know, an unhackable database, that sounds great. 
this sounds like the perfect solution for me to store my most private and confidential information um, because this, you know, it's like locking up my my data in a digital Fort Knox um, uh, uh, and that blockchain is going to be this sort of uh, cybersecurity sort of silver bullet for such scenarios. Um, but the reality is um, actually pretty well the opposite. And so the way that blockchain actually um, uh, uh, achieves immutability, the, the, the whole way that it works and the reason why you can't modify the data that's in it is because that data that is stored within the blockchain is um, publicly available. Everyone can read it um, and it's spread as far and as wide as possible. So once again, coming back to the case of Bitcoin, um, you can actually go on, you can look up online, you can see every single Bitcoin account that's ever existed. You can see every single transaction that's ever taken place on the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, and, and that's why we can achieve that immutability because everyone can see it. Everyone agrees what the correct state is. And if someone tries to modify that state or that history, then there's 10,000 other copies out there that all say that that modification is, is, is wrong. So there's an accountability piece there. Correct. And um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah it's, a, it's a common misconception. There is accountability, but there's not, uh, not necessarily uh, privacy. And so, you know, we as a, as a development agency, we, we get asked all the time, um, you know, a, a big one is, is medical data where sort of people come in and they go, oh, you know, you've got this, uh, I've heard about the blockchain and it's this unhackable, unpenetrable database. I want to take my, um, you know, uh, medical records and these sorts of things and store them in the most secure um, database available, which I've heard is blockchain. But it, it, it's not a good use case at all because, um you know, you, you're just exposing um, all of that information. Now, there, there are technically different blockchain, uh, zero-knowledge blockchain uh, systems where you can hide some of that privacy and there's technically private blockchains and all of these sorts of things which we could spend, um, you know, hours and hours talking about. But um, for the most part, if, you're using if you intend to use a blockchain system because you want to store some you want to lock up some confidential information in it then you're probably using the technology incorrectly can you see how many bitcoins someone has to their name yeah so as well what you can see is you can see addresses um which look like you know to the average person it just looks like a random string of characters so you know you don't you can't search up Lachlan Feeney and find my bitcoin account for example but you can see every single address and you can see um, every single uh, you know the amount of bitcoin in each address and you can see every single transaction that that address has ever done but you can't detect if it was used specifically. It could be anyone. It could be anyone. 
but what what ends up happening is there are companies out there um uh, chainalysis is one of them there's a bunch of different firms who when you uh, interact with a custodial solution such as an exchange there's regulations kyc aml regulations that come into place where these exchanges have to uh, verify your identity and every time that you go from a non-custodial so every time you go on and off these custodial solutions they can see which wallet you're coming from and they can see which wallet you're you're going to and so um, what these companies do is that there are companies out there they buy up all the the data of you know which wallets are going to and from exchanges and they can actually map out um and and pretty much see uh, basically take that sort of veil of transparency away and they can see and identify a lot of the wallets on chain who they actually belong to so a lot of people think that bitcoin is entirely private and entirely anonymous but we have over a decade's worth of data of people moving in and out of um you know uh, uh KYC solutions and if you put all of that data together you can make a really really good map of what actual real world people can t- control which addresses um and so you know it, it's actually nowhere near as hard as anyone thinks to try and work out how much bitcoin uh, someone has and what they're spending it on do you have bitcoin <laughs> i do I do. <laughs> okay, so okay, that is super interesting. Um, and like all my security bones in my body just freaks me out. Uh, what would be the purpose? Okay, so hypothetically, I've gone out, Changalysis, ch- 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 was it? I've now discovered, I've got all this information. What's the per- So then what happens? Like, what do they then do with it? Do they then on sell it to people to understand like, okay, this person in this country has billions of dollars in it um which makes them a high target potentially like what are they use what, what's that intelligence for sure it's for lots of different things there's other companies like manson and these sorts of things there's, there's plenty of companies out there that do it um the primary primary use case is um uh, governments and um sort of uh police and these sorts of things uh are very interested in that sort of information so um, if a bunch of Bitcoin has been stolen or is being used to fund um, illicit activities, then um, you know they they can see uh, you know who's behind uh, that Bitcoin or where that Bitcoin is going, and um, if it ends if it ever ends up on a custodial solution, those custodial solutions can freeze. Um, the Bitcoin because they know that it's dirty Bitcoin and and these sorts of things. So um, there's um, the the biggest use case is definitely for sort of law enforcement that side of things. But um, there's lots of different other use cases as well. Like Nansen, you know, they they do this, and you know, you, you can use tools like this as a as a trader. You might be interested. Like some of these services have tracked down like um, the really big um, funds um, in the crypto space, and so 
if you can track down and identify their wallets, you can see what they're investing in and when they're investing in it. You know, I'm sure a lot of these companies, it's kind of like the guy on Twitter who was like tracking and following Elon Musk's um, private jet um, and where it is and where it's going. And I'm sure a lot of these companies aren't very happy that people are sort of um, peeping in to, to see what they're doing with their wallets. But um, yeah, that's that's what this uh, tracking is being used for. So creepy. Uh, okay, definitely hear what you're saying. Um, so if, I, if you were Elon Musk and someone's tweeting about where you're flying on your private jet, how do you think that makes him feel? Or do you don't think he cares? No, he, he definitely cares. I think he tried to pay off that guy, if I remembered correctly, for him to stop. So, um, yeah, the, these guys, they're, they're obviously not very happy about it. Um, and, you know, many people would argue that this is sort of against the, uh, you know, intention of blockchain and, you know, Bitcoin has addresses for a reason and it's meant to be anonymous and these sorts of things. So there's a lot of, um, work being done in terms of privacy solutions um, so that, you know, in, in five years' time, I'd be pretty confident that you won't be able to do these things and track um, this much sort of account information. Um, there are technology solutions and upgrades that are coming out that um, are dealing with all of these issues. So, um yeah, I, I expect down like there's a lot of people who are unhappy with this, and I expect that uh, this this won't be the case for much longer. Um, but for now, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of people who think that just because they're hiding behind a Bitcoin address that they're totally anonymous. You know that that's mostly incorrect. Yeah, that's wild. So just. Uh... My final question for you today, Lachlan, is after all this conversation and, you know, we definitely did run out of time, but I'm keen to sort of hear from your perspective. And I mean, you sort of touched on it, so I probably already know the answer to this, but do you believe blockchain will become quite ubiquitous? Uh, similar to, you know, the internet, there were people saying, oh, you know, the internet's not going to be the biggest thing. And of course it is today. So do you think blockchain will be like the internet? Look, I'm I'm always the first person skeptical um, whenever anyone says that blockchain is a silver bullet for absolutely everything. Um, so I'm I'm always cautious about sort of implying anything of that nature. Um, but I will say that blockchain sort of continued to exceed even my expectations. Um, and I think we're still incredibly early and there's, you know, so much growth for this technology to expand across, you know, many, many different industries and use cases um, for decades uh, to come. So, uh, you know, I, I'm sure if you went back and asked even the most, um, you know, bullish Bitcoin people a decade ago in their absolutely like most um you know optimistic scenario that could actually realistically unfold you know many of them probably wouldn't have told you that well you know nations would adopt um bitcoin as legal tender 
um, and you know people would be using it to store wealth, um, hedge funds, and um, you know public companies, and these sorts of things would make it their mission to their sole mission to basically buy and acquire as much Bitcoin as possible. So, I think the technology has already exceeded um, most people's wildest expectations, but I still think it's extremely early. Um, I think there's there's so much more room to improve. As I said, we've seen a lot of financial use cases to date, but that's mainly because we started with Bitcoin, which is a you know kind of financial instrument, um, and so that's how the technology sort of naturally evolved. But there are so many more use cases for blockchain um, way outside of the um, you know financial sector. We we didn't even touch on nfts at all today but even way beyond anything that we've seen to date um i think is still coming as i said if if you try and you know predict or or explain google or or facebook or tiktok or these sorts of things um in the 90s like you, you couldn't even imagine them and that that's where we're at today there's certainly be you know, many applications where blockchain just doesn't make much sense and you shouldn't be trying to fit blockchain into everything. But there are certainly applications which have not been explored yet, um, which will completely change the way we do business, the way we interact with each other, the way we share and own information. You know, we didn't touch on the metaverse either. And so, you know, there's a lot of really exciting stuff to come, but of course, there will always be applications that just don't make sense for blockchain as well. Yeah, you're so right. Well, I guess time will tell. We don't have a crystal ball. We don't have all the answers, but we'll see what unfolds. So thank you so much, Lachlan, for your time. I think this has been an exceptional interview because I wanted to demystify blockchain and I know that we didn't get to every single angle, but... I just rolled with it today. So really, really enjoyed the chat. So thanks very much for your time. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.